Today is Thursday, February 29th. The title for our devotional is Suffering and Ceasing. Yesterday, we covered the rather strange passage at the end of chapter 3, where Peter seeks to connect the situation of Noah's day to the current day of his hearers and exhort them to follow the way of Jesus even if it leads to suffering. Now in chapter 4, he is going to build another idea onto the example of Christ. He says in uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So here again, he is calling them to follow the example of Christ. That's why, since therefore, he begins with that, right? He's calling them to follow the example of Christ and to live in righteousness, even if it leads to suffering. They're to arm themselves with that same way of thinking. The idea that he builds into it now is the idea that the one who has suffered has ceased from sin. What does he mean by that? It seems best to take this in the sense that one who has chosen to live in righteousness, even if it means putting oneself at odds with the norms of their culture and suffering for it, has already demonstrated outright obedience to Jesus. Therefore, sin has lost its power over him. The path of least resistance for these Christians in Peter's day is to live in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. They were being maligned and mistreated because they didn't live this way anymore. So those who have suffered have already indicated that obedience to the will of God is more important to them than avoiding suffering. They are more motivated by doing God's will than by their sinful desires. And they've proven it by the suffering that they're experiencing. In verse 5, Peter reassures them that though they are suffering now for choosing righteousness, those who are maligning them will eventually have to face judgment from God. That judgment will be far worse than the mistreatment that they are currently facing from their society. He specifically states that God will judge the living and the dead. The common thought in the Greco-Roman world was, was that death absolved one of judgment. Peter is then teaching that death does not absolve one of judgment from God. Therefore, verse 6 continues the idea and says, in essence, because death does not absolve us from God's judgment, the gospel was preached while they were living, that is, to those who are now dead. So, that uh, verse 6 line that says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit. So, what he's saying is that this is why the gospel is preached to those who are now dead. The gospel is preached to them while they were still living, uh, but they have now died. And those effects of what they, uh, of whether they accepted the gospel or not, is still effective in death. Job's summarizes verse 6 well when she writes, The gospel is preached because judgment is coming, so that people may live in the realm of the Spirit as judged by God's standards, regardless of how they were judged by human standards during this life, that is, in the flesh. This would not only warn those who don't believe, it would also encourage those Christians who have lost loved ones. They are reminded that the efficacy of the gospel extends beyond death. Even if Christ does not deliver us in this life and death ensues, the gospel is effective even in the next life. 
Interestingly, the Christians in Peter's day seemed to have the opposite emphasis on the gospel than is common in evangelicalism today. They were wondering if the gospel is effective for the next life. Today, many evangelical Christians think the gospel is only effective in the next life, after death, and it has little bearing on how we live now. The message of 1 Peter counters both. The gospel is effective both in this life and life transformation and how we should follow the example of Jesus now and in the life to come when we will be with him forever. Peter here is seeking to reassure his hearers that even if they are maligned now and don't get justice, God will be the ultimate judge in the end. What a comfort to those who have been mistreated and haven't gotten justice or have no method of receiving justice. What a peace this gives to those who are desiring justice now and considering taking matters into their own hands. It's this belief that allows Christians to experience injustice and Again, whereas we can pursue justice, not seek vengeance and retaliation in return. For reflection time today, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking as Christ. Live for the will of God, not for human passions like sexual sin, idolatry, and drunkenness. Know that the effectiveness of your life in Christ is for today, as well as for after death. Be so committed to doing what God says is right and true and good that you would even be willing to suffer for it. Thank you.